Hey guys, welcome to Café Mehfil, a space for social political discourse organized weekly by the Parsons Paris Student Government 2020-2021. I'm Zara, thank you for tuning in. Let's just start off with maybe each of us introducing ourselves to one another because we have Amina here and I don't think anyone knows her except for me. So, I'm Zara. Um, and I'm um, Ashwarya, hi. Wait, can you hear Ashwarya? Yeah, okay, yeah awesome. I can Hi, Shirley. And uh, then we have... I'm Tessa. And then we have... Yeah, uh, I'm Hanya. I'm from China. Yeah. Hi. I'm in Hong Kong right now. Oh, hi. Nice to see that very Hong Kongese background of yours. You know what it says? <laughs> uh, just let me see. I, said, I think it says, like, fish fillets rice. Yes, it does. It says fish fillet rice <laughs> because that's the one dish in the cafeteria that's pescatarian friendly. So I write it down everywhere. Okay, yeah, it makes sense. It's fish fillet rice. <laughs> Anyways, I was thinking about to start off, Amina, if you could tell us about what you study, what year you're in, and kind of the research that you do at the Education oh. University of Hong Kong to kind of give yeah. us a background before we. So, like Zara said, I'm at the Education University of Hong Kong. I'm currently wrapping up my third year, and I'm in a five-year program. So, I am enrolled in a Bachelor's of Education in English Language and a Bachelor's of Arts in Language Studies, which is Linguistics, Literature, and Culture. Um, yeah, and my research background so far in education has been uh, content language and uh, the integration of content and language. So it, the, it, the acronym is CLIL. And I've been working with a professor uh, regarding uh, creating a Cantonese language curriculum for non-Chinese speaking people in Hong Kong, because Hong Kong does not have a curriculum for Cantonese. Cantonese is a spoken dialect. And what's written down is Chinese, and you don't really talk in Chinese, you talk in Cantonese. And so for to have non-Chinese-speaking people integrate into that linguistic society is, is a really big struggle unless you're born here. Uh, and so just helping develop that curriculum from that perspective. And from my language studies background, we've been researching, creating, uh, and developing courses which would allow students to attempt the IELTS language proficiency examination through intercultural awareness across three countries. So we have Pakistan, Russia, and Thailand involved in the creation of that. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, and then there's other um, more digital content based around learning of literary terms for a introductory course uh, for um, a online database for primary school students to learn English remotely in underprivileged backgrounds. Uh, however, my thesis research has been going uh, more around um, gender, gender identity as erased by Eurocentric norms through colonialism. And so um, more so focused on the gender dynamics and constructs as they existed pre et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So that's me. Okay, Amina, that's a lot. 
and those programs are super interesting because I think they definitely are relevant to what we want to talk about today. But before we do that, I was also wondering about what environment in terms of uh, cultural diversity you work on, like you work in at the moment. So as I understand it, you have like these two different programs kind of going on side by side, right? And mm -hmm. also about what your plans are for the future in terms of like what sort of setting you want to work in. Like is it still going to be kind of connecting different areas together and do you plan on still working in Hong Kong or are you kind of trying to orient the way you're researching at the moment so you can work in a different setting in the future? Yeah, it's a very good question, one I've been asking myself for a while as well. Um, so in terms of my current working environment, uh, because I am in an English speaking program, because a lot of my program does draw on um, international perspective, the faculty that I'm working alongside is very, very diverse. So we have people from India, we have people from uh, the UK, States, Canada, France, the Netherlands, Belgium, uh, Germany, uh, New Zealand. So it's, it's a very, very diverse faculty, the Faculty of Humanities under which my program is. Um, in terms of what I might be doing in the future, that's still in the air. I kind of change my mind every six months, so I'll probably revisit that question when I'm in my fifth year. Uh, but so far, what my school is equipping me for is to become a teacher, a secondary school teacher, like one of my degrees, uh, well, secondary and primary school teacher, uh, which is why you probably saw me in schools this semester. Um, I'm not sure if I want to continue in that line per se, at least perhaps I will after graduation simply because I don't have money, but um, I definitely do want to pursue higher education, I mean higher, higher education going into uh, grad school, however, through my years of schooling in, in I would say multiple different domains, my interest still lies in literary studies, philosophy, etc. So if I were to pursue a higher education track, uh, it would be in that direction. Gotcha. So that answers your question. Oh, I think it does. Um, and then, okay, so I think just moving on to what and why we wanted to do this today. So we're basically just having this session in wake of what I would, I, I would call it like almost like a fallout or like a follow up more accurately and like a, like almost like a bursting of this bubble of racism and discrimination that has been like kind of multiplying almost like at the roots of many of our institutions worldwide in terms of higher education, especially after both the BLM movement last year and kind of this nexus that was formed between that, the Me Too movement, the climate change movement, and just how it's been affecting education in general. Um, and specifically for our institution, we've been dealing with a lot of incidences of racism. Um, just to give you an example, um, we had a speaker come in a couple of weeks ago and she was Zoom bombed by, I'm assuming students who kind of came in and yelled the N-word over and over again and nothing was done about it by the faculty and the leadership of our school when they were also present when it happened. And then a week later, a professor who was there the week before used the N-word in class um, and kind of justified it because of like the position it had in the language of what she was trying to say, if you get what I mean. Um, and I thought it would be interesting to get your perspective 
on as educators, what and how is one supposed to approach um, when something like this happens? And I understand that there's no correct way to handle it, but I'm just wondering about what your take is on all of these things that have been going on. And I think it's not just Parsons because I've been, so there's this website um, called the Journal of Black Higher Education and they've kind of been tracking incidences like this and there have been multiple occurrences of both people coming in on Zoom and being racist and also of teachers kind of using the N-word and being called out about it recently, especially. Right, so that is a very heavy um, topic. And um, it's very interesting, you said, oh, there's, there's no one way to deal with the situation. And one thing that strikes me is perhaps, so my experience has been, uh, I will discount my prior to tertiary education because I was a majority ethnicity in a not very ethnically diverse, well, you know what I mean? Like we both grew up as brown people in a brown country. Right. But moving to Hong Kong with so much diversity as it has, there aren't many instances of inter-ethnicity racism at a administrative level, uh, which isn't to say that one walking down the street doesn't uh, experience microaggressions and there's history in that. But as far as it goes in terms of the institution that I am enrolled in, there is very little um, deliberate antagonization like what you have just described. Now, as a ethnic minority who is posed to then become an educator, uh, this past semester I had experience at a primary school where um, the students are all Chinese, well, uh, ethnically Chinese, Hong Konger students. And I going in as a non-Chinese ethnic person was to then be their tutor. And I found out that they really give, gave me a really good opportunity. Now, I'm talking about primary school students, so eight-year-olds. And uh, one of the things they asked me when I went to the went into the class was, where are you from? And I held off on that as long as I could uh, because to one extent, it should not be the question of where I'm from or my cultural identity then coming into play of how they as students were to treat me. Like that was to be irrelevant. Like don't look at this in terms of, uh, you know, culture, look at it in terms of our, so like classroom hierarchy, teacher and students. Right? But eventually it did come out that I was, that I was Pakistani um, because I told them. And then in the next class, one girl raises her hand and she goes like, Miss Arm, my dad said that the people from your country are very dark skinned. Why are you not dark skinned? Right. And honestly, I'm open to these type of, now these are eight year olds. I keep reiterating. So that gave me an opportunity to be like people from different countries look different. And just because the majority looks a certain way doesn't mean everybody does. And, you know, be careful when you ask questions like that, because what if somebody's sensitive about them, et cetera, et cetera. And that's a message that was given to 17 eight year olds. And hopefully they'll take it with them growing up. Now, obviously, the question comes down to why are fully realized adults not realizing this? And yeah. I feel like the role of the authority, what I mentioned earlier, um, my students shouldn't recognize this as a Chinese versus Pakistani interaction. This should be a student and teacher interaction. In that classroom, if the student was going in that lecture, rather, if a student felt justified in exhibiting antisocial 
almost aggressive behavior. Let's remove race from the context. That student felt comfortable going into a lecture hall that was organized by a university staff and demeaned not only the invited guest by the university, but also disregarded the fact that probably other university uh, personnel were there, right? Why was that not a point of offense? that students acted that way against an administration? Didn't they? Yeah. Wasn't that considered a problematic prob like situation? Then we see why action was not taken because of race. Now we reintroduce the aspect of race back in. Okay, so then automatically the offense was not against the university, the personnel, the organizing committee, the everything that was set up for that lecture, but rather against the guests that they had invited into, this, into the institution. And that was okay, right? As you said, there was no action taken. There should never be that disengagement of race from social construct. If you were not okay with your students coming in and saying that about any white professor, even if it wasn't a slur, even if it was purely just disruptive behavior, then that behavior would not have been tolerated. However, it was in this scenario. There needs to be a reevaluation of priorities that goes into this. If I was the instructor in that situation, of course, I have the whole my whole cultural capital to fall back on. I'm raised to be more sensitive to this. I am educated to understand why this is an issue. Uh, I do see it as a problem. And so I would bring that up if my students among themselves were ever to let me bring up an example of where this was pertinent. So in 2019, I went back to Pakistan and I taught at a local public school in Balochistan, which is a province in Pakistan. And I had students from multiple ethnicities. In Pakistan, our ethnic lines are mostly divided amongst provinces. So our four provinces have their own four ethnicities, which are um, associated with their own culture uh, and so on. So, um, can't really think of an example. So, like, um, we have four provinces, Balochistan, Sindh, Khyber Pakhtunkhwa, Punjab. Uh, these are four major ethnicities, Sindhi, Punjabi, uh, Balochi, and Pashto. And in my classroom, there was a mix of that. And so this type of language that's kind of alienating is pretty common, not only in classrooms that are diverse, but also within media in Pakistan. However, it was not allowed in my classroom. Nudges, teasing, this was considered not just disrespect to the student that you are teasing in that scenario, but to me as the instructor. As a person there, how can you feel comfortable um, in allowing me to witness you having this type of crass antisocial behavior? And so they very quickly understood that that was not appropriate. And these students were 18 years old. Now, I would understand them, which is closer to the age group that was probably uh, being disruptive in this classroom, that they understand not only that this is inappropriate behavior, but that they will go unpunished because the school administration is not being tolerant. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't feel know like the main how message. you guys. Uh -huh. 
I don't know, and I, I appreciate events like this, which kind of bring it to light. It's not just a question of race, but as an institution, how can you be comfortable with being disrespected like that? Sure, fine, if they're racist, then we can't say, oh, big, you can't allow your students to do that, it's racist. They don't care. How can you be disrespected? If you want to say it in terms that they would better understand, then, then put it in those terms. You were being disrespected as an institution. Your name was being considered and put it alongside all these different ideologies that you might not associate with or want to associate with, but it was, mm-hmm. and you were okay with it. Yeah, I feel like the main problem here is that the fact that they were silent kind of validates what happened, and that's the message you're putting out through your silence, is that if you do something like this and we won't say anything, that gives you permission to do it again. And it's very, like, basic. I feel like it's very basic, um, like, an educational method. I feel like, you know, if you don't say anything, that means it's okay to do. Um, And it still applies at a higher level, so. But, okay, I have a question here about, so I feel like um, from what you said and from what I understand about how educators have to be trained to kind of work in an environment today is that education for today and the future has to be designed in this lens of both globalization of standards when it comes to race and ethnicity and also, like, in this lens of, I wouldn't call it a monoculture, but more of like the fact that you do have to encounter different cultures, both online and in person these days. So my question is about whether current educators are rendered unqualified in this environment or what sort of strategy should we be looking at to kind of both not re-innovate, but kind of free update um, to kind of update the educators that are working today because when this happened with the professor, this one point was brought up that really frustrated me was that it was never mentioned in her professional teaching that you should not be using the N-word in class. And what are you supposed to say to that, you know? Hmm. So just to start from a point of what I know, me, I'm enrolled in a bachelor's of education. We have to take multiple courses about uh, international and global perspective, global education, Um, because it's not only, it's inevitable as a teacher anywhere in the world, but especially in a a, a city like Hong Kong, that you're going to be in a classroom that is, at least has one student that's not um, ethnically native to that land. And it is your job to be able to teach in an environment that would not alienate that one student more than they're already being alienated probably amongst the student body, right? So for example, if I were to walk in class and even though it's an English class, I know everybody speaks uh, Spanish, I start speaking in Spanish and then there's that one student that doesn't, that's not fair to any student there because I'm removing that sensitivity, that cultural sensitivity that the students can gain that, oh, out of consideration for that one's teacher, the one student, the teacher is still going to maintain this uh, plane where we all understand her, right? So we are supposed to be in on this global perspective. We do multiple philosophy classes to be able to analyze this then at arm's length. So as far as new teachers, graduating probably around the same time as me there is at least a little bit of equipment that they're being handed to upon graduation uh now from what i gather of course teachers of older generations perhaps a few decades before us even maybe eight years before us um especially now i don't mean to make any assumptions but hong kong used to be colonized by um, 
by the UK till 1997. So I still consider that pretty recent, um, just before the turn of the century, right? I've only ever lived in a country that was previously colonized. And so I will say that has the, you know, there's very, very few silver linings, but one of the silver linings is that the automatic assumption that you would have to adapt to a specific other cultural uh, entity. I don't think France was ever colonized beyond parts of it by Germany, right? Um, Would you even call that colonization? I'm not sure. No. And so that inherent sensitivity is not present. Very safe to say. In countries like France, like the UK, America, Canada. And so in Hong Kong, as far as that goes, there are some stereotypes about people from those countries, simply because it also happens to coincide with the fact that they're all individualistic cultures, right? So uh, I feel like that is also goes hand in hand with the fact that there is not that sense in upbringing that what you are going to do and your beliefs, which equate to your actions and words, will affect other people as a group. Whereas collectivist cultures like Pakistan and, and Hong Kong really do hone in on that everything you do connects to what it can do for other people what it does to other people right um and that really does translate in how teachers are educated here there is very much the beginning of the class call how many people can understand this language that language how many people are comfortable with this thing or that thing uh there's a lot that goes into the uh, the communal nature of creating a classroom um Last semester, I had an experience uh, with a professor who similarly used the N-word. Now, he used the N-word when he was reading um, Seven Guitars by, the the name escapes me, but it is by an African-American playwright, and the entire play is written in AAVE. Uh, African-American vernacular Mm -hmm. English. And so for somebody without that accent or dialect, um, it does come off as racist, but he would read it in, he's a white man, and he would read it in a bit of a black scent. And it made a few of us uncomfortable. And Zara, I'm not sure if you were on the literature group, but I mentioned that um, where I was concerned with the fact that one of the assignments was reading out a passage of the play in sort of like a radio play style uh, and submitting okay. that audio clip. Um, I am not African-American. I do not have African-American vernacular English dialect or accent Uh, and the fact is when the teacher would read off of it he would feel free and use the words so in one class I remember I was like you know as people we are not ethnically associated with that dialect with that culture Um, we do not feel comfortable using the slurs Uh, well for them it's it's their words they can use it but for us it translates it slurs right we can't Mm -hmm. Uh, especially him as a white man uh, should have been really sensitive to it but he's much older and we brought it up and he said if you're not comfortable with it don't do it there's no need but this is a piece of text and so I'm considering it as a piece of text 
and he wasn't very much bothered by our concerns. Uh, he was aware of them in the way somebody says, oh yeah, I've heard that that's a problem, but not in a way that, yes, I agree with it. Um, so there are exceptions to every environment. Um, again, I feel like that's because Hong Kong's not very familiar with a lot of the, cu the cultural and racial issues of the States, but him as a Canadian, Canadian Hong Konger, uh -huh. uh, he, he uh, would have been, um, but, but he said in his own words, he has a lot of black friends and they were okay with it. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, so what do you say to that, right? Um, as a 60 yeah. year old uh, uh -huh. white Canadian French speaking man, um, uh, you can only bring up your concerns. And as far as him saying, if you're not comfortable, I understand why you're not comfortable, you don't have to do it. That was enough of a Hail Mary, right? Um, going, I feel like this issue between generations will always exist. There's nuances sure. that our generation knows now, not only as citizens of a globalized world, but also as educators going into that globalized world of what considerations to take in place. What, yeah. How do you uh, talk to a multicultural classroom, multicultural lecture hall, multicultural Zoom room, you know? Um, these nuances, older generations did not have to know. And largely, don't feel entitled in maintaining that ignorance. Uh, because if the world was able to adjust around them before, why shouldn't it now, right? Um, and I feel like that is something that can be attempted to educate. However, uh -huh. anybody who's had experience with speaking with older generations where it's a matter of respect and it's a matter of consideration uh, has been met with like, like talking to a wall often yeah however i do feel i do feel younger teachers um as far as it is in hong kong are being taught uh now i don't know how far this is detrimental but we are being taught a culturalization not to refer to the classroom in the context of culture if it's pertinent mm -hmm. to the class and if you want to use it as an example go ahead and be like oh whom here is from whatever what do you want to say about that cultural insight? That's great. But as far as it, which, which I feel like in using the English language that comes across and I feel cultural identity is very strongly tied with language use. And so it's, it's very, it, it yeah. can be important in the language speaking class, but if you're teaching mathematics, mm -hmm. is it important to draw on any cultural aspect of that? Not really. If you're teaching biology, not really. If you're teaching any subject that does not have anything to do with personal use, then there's there there uh, in my university the, all the subjects that I just mentioned have specialized degree degrees also. So I'm teaching English language, so my degree is a bachelor's of education in English language. But there's also maths, chemistry, physics, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, all the ones. And we all take classes yeah. together about uh, cultural competency is what they call it. Um, and it is very much a competency and especially like I'll be graduating in 2023, like the amount of mixed 
identity students that that are in classrooms these days just because that's the level of globalization that has been achieved at least in hong kong um yeah. it's a great disservice to put a teacher out in the world who does not know how to handle that environment especially teachers yeah. of a higher institution because can you imagine like i would imagine secondary and primary schools have a less statistical di- cultural diversity than a international education institution right Mm-hmm. yeah yeah I feel like that was the next thing I was gonna say was like you know like if you're teaching a subject that's like removed from diversity or equality like does that excuse you not knowing about how to handle these sort of situations because one thing I've seen a lot in these sort of cases is like the professor is like oh I teach um physics or I teach like something like fashion or something so why should I even know about if I should be using this word or not or if um, like I remember Tessa there was like an excuse that came up that oh I was teaching some like a specific subject so I didn't have to mention that this happened because it wasn't important but here I, I'm also thinking about um, so there's like this common thing about professors talking about how much they learn from their students but I'm also wondering if there's a limit to that because what I've seen a lot is that like especially in these sort of situations with the way that things are progressing and with professors like refusing to kind of update their knowledge because like you said they're from an older generation and it's often like when the question of someone's identity comes up they just like put the responsibility of educating other students on the student of that particular identity or race and i see that as a huge problem and i'm wondering about in when you're training teachers like how does that come up or is that addressed in some way especially with modern um training for professors going out in the world um like in this decade i guess so that's very interesting and um i would say my experience with this is a little bit opposite um so where you mentioned that uh, teachers uh, teaching other subjects would feel like, oh, there's no need for me to know this. It is considered that those teachers are the ones who should know the most, because mm. at least in lessons that I'm teaching, I can create a dialogue with my students and we can understand each other that way. And sure, like then I can learn from my students. However, there is no opportunity for that type of dialogue in a maths classroom, in a physics classroom, mm-hmm. if you're creative with it, maybe. But Um, Yeah, so the perspective here has always been that you won't be able to learn on the job, so learn now. Um, As far as it goes in terms of um, teachers sort of, now from what I understood, you can uh, clear it up if if I misunderstood, is that teachers passing off um, sort of the lesson uh, content to those uh, of a different culture to then disperse onto the like culture without altering their delivery? Is that what I understand? Um, Tessa, could you, do you remember any specific incidences that we could talk about that would kind of explain it better? Yeah, um, I think, uh, okay, this isn't very specific, but I think maybe it will clear up. But um, like, uh, rather than the teacher providing a space um, being an educator and acknowledging, you know, even acknowledging their failing or their lack of knowledge in a certain area, but they're still meant to be like, um, the authority. And so taking responsibility for teaching in that moment often doesn't happen. And so then the student who 
is an ethnic minority or even just a student who feels uncomfortable in that moment ends up taking on the role of educating the whole class, including the teacher, about the problems um, that are coming up in the lesson. So like for, for our situation, it would be the use of the N-word. What ended up happening was the black student in our class had to then confront the teacher and basically lecture the whole class about how this was a problem. Um, so yeah, I think that's that's kind of what Zara was talking about. Yeah, and also so, in terms of like the subject coming up for other classes, I feel like I can imagine like, for example, if you have a math class or if you have a physics class and you have on a guest speaker, even if it's to talk about like quantum physics or something and if they're black and someone Zoom bombs and says something racist, that kind of, you know, like, brings that aspect in and then what are you supposed to do about it you just ignore it because you teach math and physics and not gender and race or you know i feel like I feel when it comes to that's yeah. okay i'm not sure how common that is for that to happen but if that happened at my institution the student would get expelled and would go viral on Hong Kong. Uh, Hong Kong has their own website. It's considered Hong Kong Reddit, but they keep mm -hmm. track of all of this. And okay. that student would not be able to get uh, local education or employment because it's on there. It's on the internet. So, so, so to hear that that happens, like, and that's something that so strange, but no, it's entirely, entirely the responsibility of the instructor. You have created an environment where students have felt comfortable to do this for you, in front of you, right? Um, oh, I'll circle back to that in a second, but uh, just to address uh, the, the situation of, um, you know, cultural education being the responsibility of the student who's concerned. In the, in the case of um, my previous literature professor who felt comfortable using AAVE despite not being African-American. Uh, he did not pass it off. It was very much someone mentioning, excuse me, sir, we are not ethnically whatever. We, it was me. I was like, we, we don't feel comfortable <laughs> using this. Is that like, is it, is this okay? And also, why do you think it's okay, right? And then he, as the lecturer of that lesson, was very much like, all right, very important point brought on by this person. This is what AAV is. This is how it is being treated within the Black community. I'm okay with using it because I disassociate it from the culture and I put it as a literary text. However, I can understand how you guys are uncomfortable with it. My Black friends have said it's okay if I use it, so I'm going to use it, but if you guys don't feel comfortable, you don't have to use it. This, though, I do attribute to the fact that he had Black friends and so had that cultural exposure to be able to do that. Uh, now, this point comes with a little bit of a nuance. So I wouldn't say that, oh, it's definitely 100% the responsibility of the instructor in that situation to be able to uh, take over and have that cultural knowledge. Because there's layers to cultural knowledge. Somebody might be aware of African-American culture, might be aware of indigenous cultures, but might not be aware of Pakistani culture you know, might not know about certain tribes in New Zealand, for example. Uh, how far is it then the instructor's responsibility to have a history lesson? And if something was said offensive, 
to then educate his class, his or her class of adults as to why that is not okay. That is a bit nitpicky and I wouldn't put it past an instructor to not know about something like this. But I think it's very black and white when you look at what is racist and what isn't. If something is said in a demeaning way that is racist, if someone enters a Zoom chat to perform a racial slur uh, as for whatever reason that motivation was, that is inappropriate. That is something as an instructor that you should not tolerate. Even snubbing conversations on the basis of the fact that somebody is from a different race or ethnicity, that should be your responsibility as an instructor to shut that down. That is not appropriate. That always circles back to the fact that you are the instructor and how dare you create an environment where students feel comfortable to do this, right? When it goes into certain little things. So obviously use of the N-word is such a mainstream issue that has been like being discussed for decades. I say it's very ignorant if you're not aware of it by now, uh, especially if it's an English speaking class, which I assume it was. Um, when it comes to more nuanced situations, um, perhaps something is being said for which a person from a very minor ethnic or cultural background brings up the fact that this is offensive, right? Mm -hmm. It is also then the instructor's responsibility to give a floor to that student and allow that student to share why that offense is what it is, right? Because in that instance, if the instructor was to be like, oh, I know this is what it is, I feel like that is kind of monopolizing the issue. And sure, as an instructor, you should be aware of it. But allowing somebody to voice their concern personally, I feel like that comes off of as, as being considerate for that student. And then perhaps in the next lecture going like, this point was brought up by this person. I hope you still remember everything because moving forward, we're going to take this into consideration, et cetera. But, um, two instances come to mind. Uh, I was in a course this semester, at the beginning of the semester, and my instructor was Irish. And there was a student in class. Uh, now everybody's cameras were off. Uh, but there was a student in class who had a Scottish accent. And so um, as we're just having a free-form discussion, uh, the teacher asks, I'm sorry, but are you from Scotland? Because your accent is Scottish. Uh, to which both of them start talking about regions and whatever. And this one student who is mixed British, um, he unmuted. Well, so they, she was talking about how she's Irish. She was talking about how he's Scottish. And the British student unmuted and said, well, we both made you run for the hills, right? See, racist um, to whatever degree. And the moment he said it, she said, okay, that's enough of that and then continue with the lesson, no freeform discussion. And then um, this I found odd, she switched sections with another professor. So uh, oh. she left, which is not what I um, you know, would adver advocate, but the fact uh -huh. that she was very strict and being like, that is not okay, um, yeah. was enough. Yeah. Now that student himself, he's very problematic. He's very racist. Mm. I won't go into detail about him, but um, th this type of 
grasping that situation. Sure, it was because she was also being targeted in that. And him as a student yeah. has been testing a lot of the professors in white supremacy issues and nobody's comfortable with him and everybody um, shuts him down. And uh, that is something that's being taken um, note of by the administration. Like if the Zoom call happens and he enters, the, the professor's like, okay, today I want you to remain quiet, all right? Um, because they know this student, they've recognized him and he hasn't done anything overtly aggressive yet uh, because he's not anti anything. He's just pro colonialism um yeah. yeah so that is one instance uh where the instructor shut down that situation but there was no instance of her passing it off or trying to explain why uh-huh. i think because everybody knew why that was racist yeah the second instance The second instance was um, I was in a lecture and we were shown a picture of Japanese people um, as they are currently. So just a picture of like a train station filled with people. And the professor, another white Canadian man, said, "What? why are they all wearing Western clothes? Why aren't they dressed in the oh. traditional garb of, of uh, this is, um, yeah, traditional garb of Japanese people, the whatever, uh, I'm not, I, I'm not familiar with the name. Uh, why are they not wearing that? So I raised my hand and I said, because it's common for a, uh, you know, minority culture to, uh, what's it called? Assimilate to the larger, more dominant culture in a capitalist environment where the United States had deemed itself uh, the economic superpower, right? It just made sense. It makes sense Mm -hmm. to uh, those of us who are from countries that have been colonized. And Mm -hmm. he recognized as well. And he said, ah, spoken exactly like a person from a previously colonized nation. Oh, wow. (laughs) And I'm not sure. What that meant to this day, I'm not sure. Um, uh-huh. What insinuation was being made. Um, yeah. The point that he was making with the picture was that the world will inevitably become a cultural. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, wow, that's a lot. That, that's a lot. Like capitalism breeds um, anti-culture, mm-hmm. which... You know, so because you want to make it as accessible to everybody. And so you you go beyond. And that goes hand in hand with localization, where mm-hmm. the, you know, uh, it, it, that was a cultural um, uh, competency course as well, which which was right in his own sense. The instructor was just maybe maybe missing the mark with uh, that idea. So where he did give the floor for people to explain and come from a place of, oh, for me, from my perspective, that's what that picture represents, et cetera, et cetera, for other people. Uh, There was very much, there's one right answer. And Uh there was very much a lot of, his answer was the right one, right? So that's a little bit of both. And Mm -hmm. in a less problematic sphere, I do see that as 
allowing students to come forward and present something from their cultural perspective, but then moderating that discourse as an instructor. Sure, he, he came from a place of I'm right and this is what the answer is, and everybody else, all your unique perspectives are inherently wrong. But if that was to be taken away from that scenario and there was moderation and then cross discourse where the instructor just did hold that classroom hierarchy uh, while allowing people, that's not entirely giving the responsibility of something to a student. You're very much yeah. still in control of the discourse that's happening. But to facilitate that discourse in a comfortable, safe speaking environment is as equally important. Um, so I won't say that it is um, the responsibility of passing on cultural competency education to a student, um, because that's again nuanced. Maybe you're in a quantum physics course and it's not really part, like now I understand what you mean by that example. Uh, you don't mm -hmm. really have to sit and be like, uh, hey guys, off topic, for example, um, this thing was brought up. I want to tell you why that was wrong or why that was the correct way to handle the situation, right? Um, yeah. And that's a very good excuse, but it took place in your classroom. And I don't yeah. know what type of quantum physics you were teaching that it turned out to be racist, but that's then your responsibility of having created this environment. And so it's your job to de-escalate it, regardless of how educated. I don't care if that happens in an undergrad, grad school, or post-grad classroom there's still that social mm -hmm. hierarchy there and you as an instructor are responsible for the environment you create very long way of saying yes <laughs> <laughs> yeah definitely i just feel like with with all of these different things that we've just spoken about the problem is that it's always going to be present as long as like the person is there you know what i mean and that there's a difference between having a course about race and gender and like analyzing it and there's a difference between the presence of racism and like the situatedness of your ethnicity or your gender or your race and whatever thing you're teaching or whatever course you're being a part of I guess um yeah and also the, yeah sorry sorry can I jump in equivalent okay I, I'm sorry to just uh I just want to like uh jump in for like a while I guess and just try to respond to some things uh First of all, I must say that I do agree that in this traditional classroom authority uh, level, the instructor has most of the responsibility of bringing, uh, bringing, or at least he or she themselves, they have to have that level of sensitivity of, of culture. But I think the necessity of facilitating conversation is it's not just about race, as you have mentioned because it was pretty long and I feel like I'm, I'm, I might have missed a few points, but I, I still think that uh, bringing up com conversation on some of these issues are, are I suppose, um, reasonable in any sense, like uh, in any sort of classroom environment, uh, if it's because it digresses from the the... Okay, fine. That, that's not really the most important thing I'm trying to say here. Let, let me I, yeah. uh, okay, so what I'm trying to say is that I still think that facilitating conversation about uh, whatever slur has been used or whatever um, 
culturally, maybe racially disrespectful things should should turn into a conversation in this sort of classroom environment because it I, I don't think education is about conveying a single ideal, even though sometimes it it is it is what happens in a classroom, but I think facilitating conversation is important about all these sort of issues. And just when you have uh, mentioned that that Japanese instance, for, for example, I feel like what he, what the professor said was very uh, was very was was having too much of his own authority in it. And I think that what should be done whether from I think it it has so much of a light tone in it that he tries to pass it pass this 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 conversation off. But that remark he made should be well, ideally turned into this conversation about about the the many layers of inherent information that you mentioned. So yeah, that's the main point I was making. I was trying to make. I agree, especially because it was a class about cultural competency and intercultural communication and stuff. Uh, the point you mentioned earlier about how uh, it makes sense why some teachers don't um, focus on certain things. Now, um, just to give like a bit of an adjacent example, I was teaching fifth graders last month. And this is not a race issue, but um, in the classroom, as I'm teaching, two students start arguing amongst each other, and I, and I ask for that argument to stop and face me. And then one student turns around and he says, he's gay. Now, these are fifth graders. I'm not even sure if the rest of the class knows what gay means, right? And I have two options. I either um, ask that student to stop mentioning that word uh, and I continue with the class. Or I stop the class and talk about the usage of the word gay, talk about what it means, talk about why it should not be used as a slur or uh, as an insult, uh, so on and so forth. And in that moment, I found myself choosing the first option because I knew these students, apart from probably that one student, they don't know what the word gay means. They don't know the connotations attached to it. If in this moment I try and explain homosexuality to 10th graders, to 10 year olds, that is a lot. And we're not just gonna digress a little bit, we're gonna go entirely off topic and this entire lesson will become sexuality studies, which will then tie into why using the word gay is wrong and so on and so forth. But if I stop that behavior and I make it clear that that behavior is inappropriate in this classroom, then we can continue with the lesson. However, the students will not walk away from this understanding why gay is not supposed to be used in class and the 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 nuance of why why of the nuance of why that is you know a bad kind of way to address somebody but they will walk away from it knowing that it's wrong right 
and perhaps as they grow older, probably by the time they get to secondary school, they will know what gay means. They will also know that, oh, that's my teacher in fifth grade told me not to use it, right? That example that I shared is probably more applicable to the earlier situation where you're teaching a math lesson, right? Okay, in my fifth grade class, none of the kids will call each other gay. Full stop, regardless of their reasoning of why. Maybe their why is just, oh, just because, yeah, so they'll just walk away knowing that this is not the environment for them to be using that type of language. And Mm -hmm. if that was a physics class in which they had a guest lecture and somebody popped in and used that, and the instructor had the guts to say, that is not appropriate in this classroom. There's no need to go on to a whole uh, cultural competency tangent, even though there should be. Ideally, there should be. I will admit about my case, though, mm-hmm. it should have been. Uh, however, with, with topics like sexuality, it can get a little bit sensitive when we're dealing with young, young students. So not an exact example for that. But ideally, there should have been a conversation. But establishing that that is an appropriate behavior that you will not tolerate is the bare minimum is the bare minimum you can do as an instructor in that situation definitely anyways i'm gonna i know you have something in five minutes so i'm not gonna yeah but thank you so much for coming on i think it really helped and we heard a lot of interesting things about from the other side, you know, being students, it's nice to hear about how your education is being planned and what sort of considerations are going into when you approach a classroom. So that really helped. Of course, I'm glad to educate. (laughs) (laughs) That was so bad, I'm sorry. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Nice to meet everybody. Uh, Tessa and Anya are the people that I heard and interacted Uh with. So, and everybody else who was here. Yep. I hope this stops happening for you. It was really sad to see it being mentioned. Like, when this happens, I'm like, when did that happen? Yeah. No, this isn't even the beginning. These were just like two really recent things that happened. We've just really been trying to grapple with how to well, think about these things and also just kind of deconstruct them in a way. So that's kind of what this session was about. Yeah, I, I hope this this you know, would lead to something, hopefully. Definitely, definitely. Okay. Okay. Good luck, I look guys. forward to catching up with you soon. It's been yes, a while. And yeah, we deserve a longer conversation. Yeah, we do. Okay, <laughs> bye. Bye. Okay. How do you feel, Tessa? How do I feel? <laughs> yeah. It was good. I really appreciated um, all of the things she had to say, and I have a lot of thoughts. Um, yeah, me too. About it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm happy we got people on who could actually like help us take it further, like the whole idea and just like all of these events instead of just us kind of ranting about it and just feeling worse and worse. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I think one of the things that that stood out like over the past however long it's been hour that we've been talking it's like the idea of starting a dialogue um like when something like this comes up that there's space to have a dialogue and reflecting on our own experience I think the reason that this wasn't possible to have a dialogue is because the space wasn't set up to like make that happen if that makes sense like like um 
Amna kept saying like, yes, it is the, the instructor's responsibility to like be culturally sensitive, but also to give space to the students to like say when something's wrong. But I think a big part of that that didn't happen for us was the part where um, the, the space is respectful both ways. Like, yeah. I, don't, I don't think I would have been comfortable having that conversation at all simply because like the space wasn't set up to be a respectful space if that makes sense like like there there was no room for the dialogue like i know like there were comments like oh after this happened like let's talk about it now but i don't think that that conversation could have ever gone well because the space wasn't set up in a way that one that the students were respected as having like any sort of knowledge or um or like equal voice and also because um I kind of just lost my train of thought, but <laughs> but I think you know, like there there has to be there has to be room one for the the professor to approach their own mistakes uh, humbly and to recognize that oh I've done something wrong and I will admit that I've done something wrong and if you're comfortable you can tell me how you feel about the fact that I did something wrong and even before that before they've screwed up like to be approaching um, sensitive topics with sensitivity, which I don't think happened either. Um, so I don't know, I guess that was kind of vague, but I hope it made sense. I think it does make sense. For me, the biggest, um, like the most bothering thing was that she was so defensive about it. And when you refuse to admit that what you did was wrong is when the conversation just comes to a full stop, you know? Um, so there wasn't even that willingness to learn from your students. It kind of came out later when she realized that her job was being threatened or whatever. I'm assuming, I don't know, just a disclaimer, but yeah, I feel like from what Amina said, that's what also really, really bothered me was that, um, I forget what exactly she said. I kind of lost what I was thinking about as well, but she did mention something about like the first thing you should say is that this thing that happened was wrong and then there's space to talk about why if time allows it but with with what happened with us was that she said it wasn't the right class to talk about it but we spent the whole class the week after talking about it anyways you know what i mean it was just very like the way it was handled it was kind of just them freaking out about it when they realized that we wanted more from their response than we got and that kind of threatened them because I feel like the second biggest problem with institutions is that they're always gonna think of it in terms of money. And when they realize that students are gonna take action or that they are upset with what happened, they just see it as like, oh fuck, we have to do something now because they're gonna take it out to the public or, um, you know, like how she mentioned about with HKU with the, the Reddit thread and stuff like that. Like, I feel like that's the first thing that institutions think about when something like this happens instead of considering how the problem can actually be addressed. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I, I, I want to I leave room for other people to speak too, but also I think Another thing that came up like in my head while 
while Amina was talking was um, the idea of like mm, the older generation and how professors who are already in the field like teaching are supposed to be handled by administration and also like how they're supposed to handle themselves and I think that from my perspective as a student and somebody who's grown up around teachers and I think fairly conscientious teachers who are you know attempting to better themselves um that on the one hand it is the responsibility of the institution to keep updating their employees <laughs> to to have the understanding that's appropriate for their student body but it's also a personal responsibility for a professor and like even any person who's interacting with a multicultural group of people to have the understanding at least a base level of like respect to approach conversation conversations like this in a way that isn't gonna further like cause people harm you know um and for me in the response that we've gotten from the school i feel like there have been failings on all of those levels like there's failings of the institution even before this specific incident but also in addressing this incident there's failings of the professor in like the way that she was teaching the way that this thing happened the way that she responded to it and the way that they interacted with each other so the way that she was interacting with the institution the way that she was interacting with us the way the institution was interacting with her and with us and like it's all just like <laughs> really like garbled and screwed up and um i think that the claiming responsibility each body has to claim responsibility so you know the professor as a human being but also as an educator has to be able to claim responsibility one for their role as an educator and their role in a multicultural space two for their role as a human being addressing other humans hopefully in a respectful way and the institution as um as an authority <laughs> and clearly there are power dynamics and so there has to be um you know the claiming of that responsibility like yes we are in power and therefore it's our responsibility to approach all these things in a way that isn't causing people harm because you know we're we're yeah. the ones who have power in this situation so i think i think that claiming that responsibility and um being holding holding oneself accountable is really important because at the moment what's happening is we are having to hold them accountable and i don't think that should be falling on students yeah definitely okay i'm wondering anya shwari abba as students who are non-white how did this whole thing make you feel i know it's asking for a lot but i'm just wondering um uh first of all i'm i'm first year so i am not really sure what happened are you talking about this specific instance of using the n-word of a like a guest speaker 
or uh, okay so this is like i feel like this is also something i wanted to bring up with misinformation and the fact that when something like this happens it's the school's responsibility to let everything know that it happened instead of covering it up and not even covering it up it's like not even acknowledging it which is more disrespectful i feel like to the students and also to um like students in a student body that is this small when you know that people are going to talk about it and get more confused and more hurt so i mean yeah anya apa i guess for you guys i can kind of go over exactly what happened so a couple of weeks ago on may 14 no sorry april 14 there was this guest speaker who came in who was black and some random person zoom bombed her and repeatedly yelled the n word the dean was there and two other professors they did nothing a week passed by and then for one of those professors classes which was my class she uh was talking about the guest speaker the week before but in an academic context she did not mention what happened so i had to bring it up and i was like hi like she was wrapping up class and there was no mention of um this incident and i just asked her you know did anything happen with that or what accountability do we have for it like i just brought it up and then she was like sara are you talking about when this person came in and said the n word n word n word like she repeated the word three times and we were just really shocked and then my black classmate um said to her that you know you should never use that word why would you use that word um you have no right to use that word this woman is french and white um and she defended herself to my classmate instead of what amina was talking about like when something like this happens and if the student like if it reaches a point where a student is holding you accountable like the last thing you should do is defend yourself <laughs> but she did and she said oh you know i was just recounting what happened and i wanted to make sure that this is what the students heard and then our class walked out um and yeah so these two things happened and there have been other incidences in the past where this professor has used the n word and um nothing has happened about it um so the first time this like the first the first appearance of the n word in this whole story was some person who joined a like a public lecture who called the black person who was speaking using the n word so that that's like the start of this whole thing right yeah like yeah someone coming in and just uh pranking the speaker with the n word okay um i think that is a really strange okay so there is just some random person from the all the students or faculty in our school that used it efforts i feel really confused by the, this whole thing actually i feel like i feel like it would be a bit to like um i think it would be a bit too much for the for the school official to give like this specific notice of there had been this one person who for some reason we don't know i'm not sure even if the the person who who used then were at first was even found but like i think it'd be a bit 
I think they can release. I think I have heard like multiple releases of this general uh, proposing of racial equality, blah blah blah, from the from the like the official school body. But I think if this is like one instance of one lecture and it like died like really soon, I think it's a bit too much. But but. What you brought to the, what you brought to the um, the the teacher in your class, I think how she used them were like if you use the whole word. I mean, is she at least she would have the decency to use the word N word? Did she not? No. Okay. I think that was what the the school have ha, has more of a responsibility to, like take actions. Uh, but that that's just like a really low level of professor. Uh, yes, the professor who was using it is when the school as the official body has has the like like responsibility to do something about it. Um, but what I said was not yes, nutritious at all. What I said was like a, just opinions, just like first, first image response to to whatever. Yeah. yeah, I understand that it's like a confusing turn of events, which is why um, I don't know. It's hard to even explain, and I feel like me and Tessa have been recounting it so often that. At this point, when I say it again, I just, I don't know, it's hard. And it's also like, I, I don't know, I, I feel like it's making sense in my head because it's confusing. And when I like repeat it, like, you know, it gets a bit convoluted. Um, but also, guys, I wanted to share that when I looked up this website that I mentioned earlier, the JBHE website, I can link it in the, in the chat if you want. But I've been noticing, okay, so... These guys kind of log whenever incidences like these happen. And there have been such like a shocking amount of both Zoom bombings and occurrences of professors using the N-word. And I'm assuming it's been happening for a while, but I guess being called out for it now, that it makes me also think about what role the pandemic had in accelerating like both this sort of racism that can happen online under complete anonymousness and also um with regards to accountability um like why why we need it so much more now than we ever did before like let me just so there's this one incident that happened on february 21st 2021 and a virtual event at the City University of New York was Zoom bombed by racists. Um, like, I think during talks revolving around Black History Month, and then in the school called Wake Forest University, a white, like a professor who was white, 78 years old, used the N word, and they said that um, it kind of relates to free speech for them to be able to use it. And this makes me think about things that we deal with here in France as well, with like the whole debate of free speech being put forward, but you don't consider the history of oppression and discrimination when you talk about free speech in terms of cultures that are not your own, because this is the free speech of white people. You know what I mean? Like with this whole stuff about 
um, like free speech and making cartoons about the profit. Sure, I agree. Like, I'm not um, like, you know, you have every right to do whatever you want, but you aren't considering the the history of oppression and discrimination of that culture. Like this white professor saying the N word and saying that it's his right to say it because free speech, you know. So I'm just thinking, also wondering about what you guys think about that. Just my personal opinion. It's never it's never how the concept of free speech should ever be used when you're talking about your insensitivity. That's just like, um, I don't even know what I, like what adjective I should put in this stance. I think free speech is about your, voicing your opinions against authorities. And when you are using something, <laughs> when you're using something as, like I, I i just don't don't i can't find the word in english like when you're trying to annoy someone with what you've said it's not free speech that you're going to you're just a horrible person there is no no level of yeah like you just want an excuse to be racist and offend someone you know yeah yeah that's just like the excuse a horrible excuse thanks yeah I mean, that's interesting also because I feel like from where you and I are from and also where in Abba, like India, Pakistan, China, we have such a history when it comes to oppression of voices that free speech means something completely different to us. Like it's the basic matter of being able to publish something or, yes. you know, like. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what I'm trying to say here. Uh, about, oh my God, it, it, it's about publishing your own opinions in a universal way, not using any I think if I can if I can real quick jump in here just from a from a perspective of knowing the um, you know ins and outs of the US system and the way that free speech mm-hmm. as a concept has been used but also free speech within education like there's a precedent um, specifically in education for you know, free sp- things, things that are in the constitution, like free speech, right to carry a weapon, whatever, things that are technically in our constitution in the States, um, don't apply in schools, in hospitals, in things like that. There's specific rules that are separate for those types of institutions. And so this argument from my perspective, it's like, no, you don't get to use that argument because hate speech um, things like, uh, like physical aggression, stuff like that. Like it's, it, there's already a precedent of that not being allowed in schools. And so, um, I think that the argument of free, free yeah, yeah. The argument of free speech, um, to use like slurs or any sort of like language that's, you know, pretty, pretty widely known to be hate speech, it's not acceptable in an educational mm-hmm. institution. And there's a precedent for it to be not acceptable. So I, I don't know, I, I see that, yeah. that argument is sort of mm, laughable. Yeah, also for educational institutions, I was also thinking about like, when it comes to language and pieces of text, as Amina mentioned, like, there's a difference between like if, if a piece of text contains like curses like i remember in middle school we were allowed to use the word fuck or shit or something like that if it was like you know in the text people would say it and the professor would be like grudgingly like 
okay, sure, because the text has it. But what's the difference between curses and slurs is something that, I don't know, I feel like they know it, but they still do it. And it's very disconcerting, especially like in an English speaking class, you know, just because a text has a word doesn't mean that you get to say it. I don't want to I don't want to step on anybody's toes, but I think that I think that um, the difference, it's a pretty clear difference. It's pretty obvious, I think. <laughs> I think is that is that yeah. curse words are words that are used to exaggerate something or exclaim something and slurs are words that are used to demean people like human beings and to establish a system of power that is causing people harm whether it's physical harm or emotional harm and especially words like the n-word that are known by like the whole world to be these types of words that are causing people harm um should not be used let alone be used in an educational institution and i think that that's a pretty clear obvious distinction um yeah i mean <laughs> it seems it seems obvious to me but clearly it's not so there we go Mm -hmm. Thank you for that explanation, Tessa. I'll make sure I cut out that portion and email it personally to our professor. <laughs> <laughs> My God, guys, I also like, I was thinking about this. So when we were like in high school, whatever, I don't remember there being a diversity or equality council. I'm just wondering about what you guys think about the fact that all of these are cropping up in our universities. Are they effective do you guys like as students off our school like do you even know what it does or do you think like what do you think the role of like for example like for us the eisj like what do you think the role of it is um and yeah i'm just wondering what you guys think of like like setting up a system where you have these sort of councils and if you had them growing up or if you've heard of them at your friends schools or just in general what your guys opinion is on having these and like specific positions set for this is like the diversity position or, you know, something like that. I think the reason why we see it now and not in our high schools is, I mean, in your high school, you would basically have students from like, you know, one country or one community mostly. But here, especially Parsons, it being like an international community, it has people from everywhere, from all over the world. Mm -hmm. So I think it is important for them to set up a council, uh, something like this, maybe a EISU council. Yeah. Because in a way, like it kind of assures people that, okay, there is someone to listen to you. Yeah. And uh, at times like this, like what the instance that happened, okay, people will have, uh, or students who need help, uh -huh. they will have some place to go. But the question is how effective they are. Yeah. And okay, I, I agree that, okay, it's just being set up because of what happened last year, but I'm okay with it as long as it functions. Yeah. You know? Okay, I mean, mm. uh, you're there just to show, but if, if you're like, mm -hmm. um, what would be the reason for your being setting up if you're functioning and you are helping students? I don't mind. Right. But yeah, and I don't I don't know how many people in our school are aware of this EISJ because uh -huh. I think I was aware of it because I was part of the student government and I had like conversations True. with Fabian and all of that. True. But I really don't know how many people are honestly aware of it. Yeah, yeah, I I I, I...
I agree with that. Like as long as it's not performative and it's actually performing exactly, a function, yeah. I'm happy with it. But also let me like let me turn it around and like work backwards also. So for our schools, like our high schools, like it's real for you. I remember you were talking about the high cost and lower cost. Mm. And for me, like Amina also spoke about this, but like the different provinces and the different ethnicities that come with that. Do you think our schools could have done with maybe something similar? Do you think it would have made the environment at schools like ours better if we had like an EISJ or like a council for listening to um, students who had problems with, um, I don't know, interactions with students from other costs or classes or provinces? So that's actually a good question that actually makes me realize how oblivious we are to uh, such incidents. I mean, I cannot recall anything, you know, uh, any such incidents happening to uh, the lower caste or mm -hmm. you know, the lower levels of the society. Because I think even uh, people hailing from those uh, levels, they do not speak up much. Because mm -hmm. I think they kind of look at it like uh, Maybe that's an, a question of status yeah. and yeah, a shameful thing to speak yeah. about. So, yes, yeah, I think maybe, if, but I don't know if we, I don't know. I think it's like, like a question of status. Yeah. If there is something set up, even yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you think people would show and like go there because exactly. if a person is going there and speaking, exactly. addressing their problems, mm -hmm. everybody else will get to know about it. Yeah. So I think the problem is within all of us, like how you look at this issue. So For I think, sure. Yeah, I think once that is normalized, then maybe these institutions will help. Yeah, I I also like what you said because um because the fact that they might not be comfortable going to anyone, like I feel like that's the what should. The purpose of like such a council should be yeah. is that like if you feel like you're from a caste where mm. you can't say anything, that, that might also be why no incidents ever come up because no exactly, one there yeah. is no one to tell them to you know could be yeah. um but yeah that's an interesting point um and that's actually a good model on which we can think about how things at school are right now like i feel mm. like for this reminds me of the first complaint against our professor when the person didn't know what to say and they just spoke about it on whatsapp and they were like what's the point of saying this to anyone mm. like i feel like that should be the purpose mm. and like the goal of such like a body is to like have something that can um i don't know like a space that can be safe for people to like to approach because what really got me mad about the session that we had last week was that they they forced us to get into a safe space when it wasn't a safe space if that makes sense like what does it mean to make so basically last week we had our final class okay. with the professor and she had in a member of the diversity council come in and magically like form a safe space where we could oh, talk about how gosh. we felt but it was really awkward and it i don't i mean it worked because we all were like ranting about it but i don't think we got anything solid or anything like any sort of closure or anything out of that so it was pretty it, it was just a really weird and disconcerting experience and that is not what i would want from a diversity council so i think it's for them to just show and let it be on record that yes they did something about it yeah for sure yeah. for sure and like a performative performative acts yeah i wanted to Okay, I have a I have a couple things to say, but specifically about um, the thing of like people not speaking up. I think that this ties mm -hmm. back in to what we were talking about a minute ago of how like it's important for the school to address the issue to the entire student body to like avoid misinformation. 
I think that another important part of that, like as a speaking as a white person in a white institution, um, after this incident, during this incident, hearing accounts of other uh, moments of racism in this institution, I'm horrified, you know, because I don't experience these things on a day-to-day basis. I have the privilege of like skating through life, you know, not having to come into contact with these things unless I choose to. And so, and so um, I think that it really truly is the responsibility of the institution to bring these things to the awareness of the student body, not only because addressing them is important for the victims of this situation, but also because the people who are um, in the position to perpetrate this being white people in this instance um, need to be made aware so that they don't do that in the future. Like like what Amina was talking yeah. about before of there needs to be an environment where people know that it's unacceptable. Like the reason that the students or whoever it was felt comfortable doing that is because they knew that they wouldn't be punished. And so um, not only is it important to validate people of color and the people who are who are being um, you know ostracized in this way but it's also important to let mm -hmm. all of the people in privilege know <laughs> one that the incident happened yeah. two that it's not okay and and three that if it does happen they're going to be held accountable and like it's their responsibility also to to be not only uh, mm -hmm. supporting and lending their voices to people who come into contact with this, but also, um, you know, to like, like this isn't okay and you have to know it's not okay. And and if you aren't told, then you aren't gonna know because white people don't have to encounter these things unless, um, you know, the authority yeah. brings their attention. And Tessa, that also makes me think that, you know, since you're out of school, that's also part of your education, which is why it's their responsibility. Like sure, for the professor, I would say that, they're past that like like it's not their time to be educated here it's more of like if you aren't putting it out then you're giving them the wrong sort of education like you're still teaching them something it's just the wrong thing um and that's more of a failure of the institution than it would be to be like oh this happened at our institute but it's happened it's gone it's happened it's happened at our institute and we didn't say anything or it's happened at our institute and we put out an email and we told everyone and we've educated our students so they don't do it again. And this also makes me think about one more thing that came up earlier. Wait, I've written it down because I knew I was going to forget it. Um, where to go? Yeah, so I feel like, I don't know what your guys' thoughts are on this, but one of my friends commented last semester about the fact that the best education she had gotten at the school was from professors who were not white because they had a better understanding and sensitivity to how to orient discussions of diversity and equality in situations where it wasn't even needed, like a professor teaching seminar or something else, um, because of the fact that these issues are all interconnected and the fact that non-white professors have a better grip over the fact that they are interconnected and when things come up, they know how to handle it better. And I was wondering about what your guys' opinion was on that. Um, I must say, oh, I'm sorry. I must say I agree. No, go ahead on. Yeah. Um, I feel that last semester when I was taking sustainability, I think. And I think it was like a similar situation when they're talking about destruction and stuff like that. 
uh, I just remember, I cannot actually remember what the professor was actually going on about, but I do feel like that, yeah, most people of different cultures would have different opinions on this sort of issues. And what she said was like really right. Uh, I, so I do feel like like you, we've probably mentioned this during my few, a few times, but I do think that definitely a more racially, culturally diverse staff body would really help with a lot of this, this sort of uh, ethical, moral conversation that we're giving during seminar and a lot of different classes. Yep. I think that definitely diversity would help. But I have only been here for like two semesters. And uh, for me personally, and when I look at the master's course, I think uh, if I have to speak for our school, the professors we have for masters, most of all of them are white. Mm -hmm. But I think it works uh, at the moment because they are considerate enough and they um, constantly educate themselves and mm. they are very much open to learning from the students because there were times when uh, I do a research project on India. There were times they are so keen to learn and they, I mean, it's like they are op openly, you know, we discuss and uh, if, they, if they have like any queries regarding the culture or uh, the history of it, they, they are open to learning and from all the cultures like, uh, so there was this one incident with like one of my black students in my class and it was resolved very peacefully because they uh, like we were just discussing how the professor should uh, acknowledge and accept when a mistake has been done from their side. So one of our professors made a mistake of uh, I think one of the details regarding African uh, history. So I think the student corrected and I think at the moment he kind of uh, seemed uh, I don't know, like maybe she had a problem with something, but okay. she took it up with the director, like through like a post emails. Mm -hmm. And she even showed me the emails. They were like resolved, like he accepted, okay, I'm really sorry, I made a mistake. And so I think, yeah, even though they are white, the, the only issue is like if they do not accept it and then do not, uh, if they're not accountable, that's when yeah. the problem arises. And yeah, I think. That's like, okay. I, have to speak myself. Yeah. I have two comments there. Like one, I feel like it's very important to acknowledge your mistake and move on from it. Um, not move on from it, but grow from it. Yeah. Um, which I didn't see happen with us. Not immediately exactly, anyways. Yeah. I think the first uh, difference here is your teacher uh, not accepting what she did. It's like she, I think she was defending. Yeah, like her yeah. initial thing was yeah, that I think that was the major issue yeah but I also think here is that um like in terms of the industries that you go ahead to work in like at least for today like it is a fact that the world is more interconnected and that is also why uh having diverse faculty goes beyond just being able to resolve issues of um recent identity within your classroom. It's also about equipping your students with uh, materials that helps them avoid that exact thing when they go out. Because what you're gonna learn is from your professors learn 
And it's just so like counter-effective for you to have to keep on educating them and them learning from you, you know? Like there has to be like a like a balance between that um, because we're not here for their learning anymore. And I do understand that times are changing and they have technical expertise in yes, this. But I think more, I mean, uh, yeah. I think more, I mean, you have to look at it like an exchange of knowledge yeah. more than you teaching them and then teaching you. So, yeah, I mean, yes, that's a lot to ask for like an undergrad course because yeah. that's, that's, I don't think it's fair, but that's the reason I'm saying in master's it kind of works because this is, when you're doing, when you're graduating, you are mostly on your own. Mm -hmm. So the learning is all on your own. Mm -hmm. So you don't expect uh, your professor to be behind you and say, okay, this is what you're going to learn. Today. So that's, yeah. that's where the exchange happens. Yeah. But yeah, I think it's a completely different uh, scenario when it comes to uh, undergrad. I guess that's fair. Also, I have one more comment here about the industry that you're kind of in, like with the master's program and also for our STM program, like the luxury industry, it's heavily white. So I'm not surprised that professors are white. And one like one positive thing that I see here is that our student body is not majority, like it's not completely white. So what I'm seeing is that in the future, like members of this industry, even if we're taking like learnings from white people like it should like it's not going to be dominated by them in the future if that makes sense yeah. and it's a heavy burden for us to be the ones that are changing things and educating our professors but i do feel hope in that we're setting things up to be better for the generations that come after us and they won't necessarily like for example if someone comes in next year i really hope that they would not have to educate their professor about not using the n-word i feel like like i don't know if this is self-important to say but we are like a generation that's like on that pivoting um moment in history like us and i guess like the grades that are i don't know like these five or ten years of students i guess um and yeah it is it is a burden and i really feel like exhausted thinking about it in this moment um, because, I mean, I definitely don't believe in demonizing an entire generation saying that because they don't know this, they're wrong, like Amina said. But I do want to respect that we have this burden. And I know we shouldn't, but that's how things are. If I can add to the, to the thing about, like, hiring diverse staff, I think that it is really important, especially for uh a school that has such a diverse student body to also have a diverse staff but i also think that uh <laughs> you don't have to be a person of color in order to be respectful and um responsible and in addition um the responsibility of good cultural education as well as good art ed education shouldn't have to fall just on faculty of color simply because they are people of color like the institution yeah. hiring people of color obviously yes of course but also the institution should be hiring white people that are conscious and respectful so i think that you know like we do need a more diverse staff but we also need a better staff of white people. Like I think I've had one white professor uh, across one, you know, yeah. semesters who's been conscious of of cultural issues. One single, you know, and most mm -hmm. of my professors have been white. So, so I think that it it sort of 
you know, a multifaceted issue with the hiring process at our school. That's a really good point. Yeah. That's, that's what I was kind of trying to touch upon. Like, we don't have to be a person of color to, you know, acknowledge the things that they go through. So I think that's exactly what's happening with our masters right now. Mm -hmm. The professors I have, like I said, they are of a really good understanding of how the things work with people of color and the country. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that's why it works. Yeah, I think that's a good point. It really kind of summarizes things, summarizes things, Tessa. And also, I think it also goes back to the fact that if students of color shouldn't be burdened with having to explain all of these things, and the same courtesy should extend to professors of color. And I think the difference is that students, like white students in our grade and like in our current like year, do have that consciousness and i can name more of my white peers who would do that for me than white professors and i think that is the problem <laughs> but yeah we don't have to stay all the way to 4 p.m guys i know i'm kind of anyways uh tess i'll see you tonight for working on our video game yay more work and Ishwarya, anya good luck with your finals um and i mean you're done with yours so good luck for your results for your exhibition yeah and okay i'll see you guys but wait before we log off wait let's log off like in a fake way like just for the podcast okay bye guys bye, bye.